Good morning. I got to tell you, I'm excited. Uh, Our elders, our pastors are excited about this morning. And the truth is, we've been praying about this morning for months. This morning, as a church, we kick off a study of the book of Acts. And for the rest of 2017, week by week, we are going to read through, preach through, study, meditate, and saturate our minds and our hearts with God's Word found in the book of Acts. And so this morning's just it's, it's just who we are as God's church to come together and worship through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And so we're really excited about it. And in a little bit, I'll tell you a little bit more about some resources and some reading plans and scripture memory uh, plans that are there, some commentaries and all these kinds of things, journals that are available for you online so that we together can maximize the study of God's word through the remainder of the year. But this morning we're going to just set up an introduction to this great book and we're going to do so by specifically looking at who we are as the church, the church. And i got an honest confession to make before we begin reading in Acts 1 verse 1. My first 10 years in ministry, I can't remember having to ever defend the corporate church. And yet in the last few years, again and again, the idea of gathering together as a local body of Jesus followers seems to somehow continually be attacked. That somehow it counts as church if I listen to a podcast. Somehow it counts as church to be completely disconnected from other believers within the ordained governance set apart by God through elders and through the community and leadership appointed in Scripture. Somehow Apart from all of that, I can still be satisfied with the discipleship, the fellowship, the mission, apart from that gathering. And I just want to remind us, that's not true. And one of the things that will be neat for us as we study the book of Acts is we will get to see the church as it is called to be. They're not perfect. In many ways, they're exemplary. They're not the hero. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we will get to see a description of what God intends the church to be. And that for us, I think, will be challenging and rich and life-changing for us in 2017. So I want to begin by reading the first five verses and kind of setting up an introduction for us this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John, the ba- John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, I just want to set a couple of thoughts for us for why Acts is so crucial to us. First, we learn comprehensively, um, more so probably than any other ways that really shifts and changes our worldview. Now, our culture today, us, we prefer things in very bite-sized, kind of tweetable statements, right? We kind of like the slogans, they're neat, they're good, but when we hear those slogans, the problem with them is when they're when they're not unpacked, they mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. A lot of different things to a lot of different people. And yet somehow, we seem to shift our worldview to break the lens at which we see everything else. Scripture calls this repentance, to turn from what you are, what you thought you knew, and to turn to something else. That seems to happen more through comprehensive learning. Let me give you a quick illustration. How many of you as parents have ever asked your child, what did you learn at school today, to hear your child say something like, nothing? Or, I don't know, I don't remember. And you ask them the next day and you hear nothing, I don't remember. You ask them the next day, nothing. The next day, nothing. And yet by some miracle, A month later, they have learned stuff. Have you ever noticed how that happens? That's incredible. My my daughter's six. She's in kindergarten. Like, I'm not really teaching her how to read. When I ask her, what are you learning? I don't know. I can't remember. But my kid can read. It's a miracle. Here's what's happening. Day over day, we learn through the comprehensive revelation of truth. Listen, the most mature believers I know have gotten past God's word as bite-sized baby food, small sections of verses that are just to be consumed like one at a time, and instead have begun to take in the meat of the whole counsel of God's Word, the whole counsel of Scripture, meditating, it, meditating on it as a complete revelation of God, meant to saturate their entire life, not just the verse for that moment. And their meditation and their pursuit begins to change. We got to remember that Scripture is, in fact, written this way. There weren't those headings and those chapters and those verses. Scripture was written to us in paragraph form in big books, big letters, and meant to be consumed within the whole of itself. Acts gets at this. Furthermore, we learn truth through context. Through context. In other words, we seek the author's intent. It's not really important or right to ask, what does this mean to me? When we look at the pages of Scripture, we recognize that the Bible is absolute truth, and we ask, what does it mean to the author? 
What is he trying to say? Because when we look at Scripture, we recognize that the author is God. And the truth that is being proclaimed is absolute. I don't get to change it. It's not an abstract painting that I get to look at and make it whatever I want it to be. It has an intent. It has a truth. And so we pursue truth by understanding context. In other words, what is the circumstance and the meaning at which it is written? What's the author's intent? What is his setting? What is he speaking to? See, the book of Acts captures all of this. All of this and more. Because Acts, Acts is the setting for the New Testament after the ascension of Jesus. It is the frame that everything else fits to. Acts is written somewhere between 62 and 70 A.D. And it is part, the second part, of a two-part volume written by Luke that goes along with the gospel according to Luke, and Acts is the second. Now, in the first century, these two volumes were circulated together. So the gospel of Luke and what we know as Acts circulate together. But in the second century, the decision was made to group the four gospels together. And in so doing, they begin to separate. There's a lot of uh, talk sometimes about whether Acts is best Acts of the Apostles or Acts of the Holy Spirit or Acts of the Church. The truth is it doesn't really even matter. It didn't get the term Acts until the second century and those things are divided out anyway. What I want you to see is that the book of Acts fits as part of a New Testament history of Christianity that goes all the way from the history in the beginning of Luke up through the ascension of Jesus into what we now know as the book of Acts through the history and documentation of Christ's continued ministry through his body, now the church. It's comprehensive. And so part one, we see the gospel of Jesus according to Luke. Part two, we see Acts. And again, if you're sitting here going, wait a minute, that that didn't happen until the second century and we got this term that's titled this book and you're saying that wasn't there listen I would just challenge you not to get too worked up about those things I mean when you're talking about the titles or a chapter or a verse listen these things weren't in the original revelation given to these men they wrote these things in letters and in books and those things are tools for us they're handles to help us hold up scripture but it is good for us to know these were written collectively, comprehensively, in big, big chunks and letters. Next, we see that Acts proclaims the truth of the Father's continued work through his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, after the ascension of his Son. The ascension, Jesus, after the cross, after his death, after his resurrection, comes and appears to the early church. And after appearing to them, he is called up into heaven. I talked to my daughter about this one day. I said, how do you think that happened? She's like, he went up like into the clouds. I said, but how? She's like, I don't know. And she kind of described the Easter play of the slow rising Jesus. 
And I was like, why not like Buzz Lightyear? To infinity and beyond. And he shot up like a rocket. I, I don't really know. Um, it captured her imagination and made me think a little bit. But the, the, the fact is, Jesus ascends into heaven to see, sit himself at the right hand of God. That's not the end of God's work. It's not the end of God's work. It's going to continue. Luke ends with the ascension, but Acts begins with it. Jesus, now with the Father. The thought is, what, what could happen next? What's going to happen? Acts speaks to this. And talks about how God's continued work begins to happen through the church. Jesus spoke about this in John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Because the Holy Spirit is going to indwell the church. There will be greater works in the church than there were with Jesus present in his ministry. That's a powerful statement Jesus makes. Listen, there's an application here. Acts reveals the reason why we're here as the church. We, the church, have become his body and are continuing what Jesus began when he was here in the flesh. The church, the body of Christ, is at work. Next, we see that Acts is the contextual frame for the New Testament after Jesus' ascension. Listen, you cannot have an informed understanding of Paul's letters if you do not have an understanding of the book of Acts. It provides you with context, with setting, with time. They work together. Everything else in our New Testament post-gospel fits to the inspired contextual frame of the book of Acts. As we as a church will study this book, it will make you understand Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians so much better than you've ever understood them before. Acts is crucial to a comprehensive study of the New Testament. Next we see that Acts describes the reality of the resurrection. When Peter and John are standing before the very threats of the council, they say, listen, we can't help it. We're going to proclaim Jesus. We can't help it. Why? Because of the things we have seen and heard. Can you imagine seeing Jesus, nail-scarred hands standing in front of you three days after being, I mean, that, that isn't, incredible they saw the proof the evidence of a resurrected Jesus the boldness that that portrays for the church and what they should have in faith you say well I haven't got to see that but we long for it we believe it as if it were true that's called faith that's an application for us and we see the church is unleashed by the power of the reality of the resurrection. But it's not just their faith that gives them power. Acts describes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
within the church. Acts communicates the power that the Holy Spirit, God himself, now indwells the life of every Jesus follower. The things that we are able to discern, the power of the gospel that is not just somehow outside of us, but is at work within us, transforming us from within to be more like Jesus every second, every day, at work, in life of the believer. We see the power of this in Acts in the early church. And finally, the result, Acts describes the purpose and the power of the church. The purpose and the power of the church. And that's why we have this theme that I want you to begin to see week over week over week as we walk through the book of Acts. A theme that as a church we're just going to hold out that's a description of what's going on when we open up the pages of this story. The Acts is the story of the desperately dependent, fervently loving sacrificially devoted, radically repentant, boldly proclaiming, globally impacting, joy-filled church unleashed with the gospel. We're going to see those themes throughout our study. And in what time left we have this morning, I want to set up an introduction just going piece by piece, theme by theme, through each one of these points. So that as we go verse by verse for the rest of 2017, you might have a lens in which to see the church. The first one I want to point out, let me tell you, even before then, let me back up. You're going to have a lot of resources. Let me go over some of these real quick. We've got a journal. This journal is, is um, it, it's bigger than Acts. It works with anything. In a minute, Wes is going to be able to come up. He's going to tell you about these, how you can purchase one, how you can use it in your quiet time to log what God is doing in your life. We have reading plans. These are available for you right outside these doors on tables that walk us through every day what we're reading in Acts for the rest of the year. They're going to offer up memory verses. They're going to offer up direction to go to tcbchurch.org slash acts where you're going to find more helpful resources and commentary. There are resources that come alongside of you so that when you study and when you see the church, you too can capture this, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day as you walk through the remainder of the year. So in just a minute, you'll hear more about these, but I want to let you know that they're there. tcbchurch.org slash acts. All that stuff is available there for you make sure that you make it a priority to work that into your routine over the coming weeks and if you get behind that's okay just jump back in wherever we are and just pick up and continue that study but I want to go back to these themes and I want to begin with the church acts it's the story of those who are desperately dependent desperately dependent See, the church in Acts was persecuted. They were poor, and they were unpopular. They had real problems, by the way. They had a lot to be distracted by. Listen, I mean, real things. Let me try to get at your heart. Like, they're kids. 
Sometimes they didn't know where food was going to come to feed their kids. They had fathers and brothers who were being persecuted, who were being exiled. In 70 AD, Rome is going to continue to exile more and more of these people. They had real problems. They were poor, unpopular, and persecuted. And there was no illusion of self-sufficiency. And with desperation, they sought provision and boldness and gospel advancement through prayer and dependence on God. And in this, they will be exemplary to us. In chapter 1, verse 14, it says, All these, the church was with one accord, and they were devoting themselves, and it goes and lists some things, but it ends with, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. In chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the prayers. In Chapter 4, verse 24, they lifted their voice together to God. In chapter 13, 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, which happened to be Paul and Barnabas, and he sent them. The church sent them. They were on mission. They were bold. They sought gospel advancement. They sought their daily provision through prayer and a dependence on God, not an illusion of self-sufficiency. Next, when we see the story of the church in Acts, we recognize they were fervently loving. The church was compelled by the love of God. And they strived to love one another and others as God had loved them. And that gave them a selfless, a selfless, an outward, an eternal focus. Love will take on an outward focus. Because love, listen, isn't something that's just an emotion. It's not a feeling you fall into or fall out of. At its core, love is a commitment. Why? Because love is not something God created. Love is something God is. It is an attribute of Him, perfectly and absolutely defined in Him. And the early church understood something. The pursuit of love was not the pursuit of an emotion. It was not just the pursuit of something over here on the side. The pursuit of love was the pursuit to be like Jesus. To be like Him. They loved fervently acts 2 we're going to be there a lot this morning acts 2 verse 44 it says and all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common verse 45 listen to this and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need Listen, it was contagious and hard, by the way. If you don't think there was pressure on them, what do you think Ananias and Sapphira are doing when they're lying about selling their stuff? They loved fervently. They didn't just love within themselves and love people who were like them. Acts 5, verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. Listen to who they brought. Bringing the sick and the afflicted with unclean spirits, they were healed. 
Their love went beyond personality or likeness. It was the pursuit of being like Jesus. And even Roman history shows that the Romans would look at them and ask, how? They would say, see how they love one another. It marked them. Next we see that the church was sacrificially devoted. The church hungered and thirst for God. They pursued him in prayer, in study, in meditation, in fasting, in worship, and conversation. And I could show that in all kinds of verses through the book of Acts, but I just want to hold up one for us this morning. That their devotion was daily life. They pursued God in their daily life. What we were reading in Acts 2, 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which for us is the word of God, and the fellowship, the gathering together in community, the breaking of bread and the prayers. It goes on, and in verse 46, here's the qualifier. And they did this day by day. Day by day, they gathered to study God's Word. Day by day, they prayed together. Day by day. See, the truth is, church, we're going to see some things about them that are going to hold up a mirror to us, and it's going to sting a little bit. Because we're just too busy with things that don't matter as much. A few weeks ago, I was here on the elder panel, and I brought our attention back to Philippians, where Paul says, I have become content in all things talking about stuff and circumstance whether he has a lot or whether he has little talking about things like his health talking about things like relationships even with others and how he's being treated in persecution he says in all this stuff I'm content but in the very next chapter Paul says I strain I strain forward What is Paul talking about? He says that I may know Jesus more. Paul was justified. Paul had a place in the family of God. Paul is a Christian. Paul knows Jesus. But Paul recognizes that the sanctification process, in other words, the process of him being made like Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is doing in him to make him as righteous, as holy as Jesus, to be like him, wasn't complete and not only was it not complete there was a grand canyon between him and Jesus and Paul wanted more and yet I think so many times in the church we have it flipped backwards we've become content with where we are in Jesus and if anybody tries to come up and encourage you to want more we're quick to say things like though that's grace man I'm just here Paul didn't say that we're quick to say man that's legalism Paul didn't say that. Paul says, I press, I strain forward. I want more of him. And all this other stuff that we long for, he says, I'm content with. See, I think we have it backwards. And probably no place do we see that more than in our time. I mean, when we will take, and I'm not just picking on this thing, it's just an easy example, just say with me. But when we'll take hours and hours week after week to watch a five-year-old hit a ball and yet the apostles teaching the word the prayer the community 
is just the leftovers as we can fit it in, we really have to ask ourselves, does that make sense within what God has called us to be? I'm not saying all those things are wrong, but I'm saying when you compare these things to Acts, we're going to see Acts is going to sting us a little bit. And that's good. That's okay. And the thing I want to press upon you in this, and hear me, the conviction of the Word of God that presses on us is not so that we look back defeated about what we have not done, but it's that we look forward today with a longing and a straining forward to be like Jesus. It's about driving us forward, not beating us up for what was yesterday, but compelling us, men, don't you want more? They were sacrificially devoted. Next, we see that Acts is the story of the radically repentant. The church strived to live a life of repentance. They were constantly turning away from past ideas, traditions, and comforts to be more like Jesus. And they had traditions and comforts and customs. Man, they had a lot of them. And they were constantly having to turn. In Acts 9 verse 20, Saul who had spent his life persecuting the church, now proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. Paul had to leave everything about his life, everything, his friends, his customs, his traditions, his ideas, to get to that point in Acts 20 where he will stand up in front of the synagogue and say, Jesus is the Son of God. All that behind me, I was wrong. Acts 10, Peter goes to Cornelius and he began to speak and Peter says this, now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. Peter, who was one of those who thought Jesus is for Israel, is seeing that the gospel is going to the Gentiles. The Gentiles. Are you kidding me? And yet Peter says, I understand now. You know what he's saying? I didn't understand then. He had to turn from these ideas, these customs. Acts 15.1, listen, there's a revival beginning to happen. Gentiles are coming to know the Lord. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And it led to the greatest meeting in the history of the world known as the Jerusalem Council, in which the apostles and the elders and the early church leaders gathered together to determine, watch this profound question they were still asking, what must you do to be saved? They had to wrestle with traditions and customs. And if there is a great sin among us in our Bible Belt Mountain Christianity, it might be that we are known to have a greater passion for our customs and our traditions within the church than we are to live a life of repentance, to pursue a deeper understanding of who God is and who he has called us to be. That's going to sting a little bit too. It tells the story of a church that is boldly proclaiming, boldly proclaiming. The church boldly proclaimed Jesus using bold action and speech that's going to make us think a little bit about the way we interact with the lost world around us. See, they shattered false ideas. They shattered tradition. They shattered an idea 
of self-righteousness. Their boldness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, brought persecution. I'm just going to own that. Right in the beginning, it brought persecution. Brought persecution. Paul to Timothy, all those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. It happens to the early church. But it also brought repentance Repentance and global multiplication. The church grew and people's lives were changed. And they turned from what Peter says is a crooked generation and found refuge in the family of God. I want you to see exactly what I'm talking about. Acts 4 verse 19 Peter and John are standing before the council. They're being threatened, and he answers them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, this council who's telling them to stop, or God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In the face of persecution, Peter and John could have just kind of played it soft. I don't know. I mean, I'll try, guys. We'll try. They didn't say that. They said, we cannot stop. We will not. We cannot. We don't have a choice. You can beat us up. You can kill us. But we're going to keep proclaiming Jesus because the things we have seen and heard, our faith is too great. Listen a few chapters later to Stephen, the first martyr in the church. Stephen, speaking to the council, listen, speaking to this kind of religious audience, I want you to listen to the words he says. After preaching the gospel and seeing the rejection, Stephen says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and in ears. In other words, apart from God. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your your fathers did, so do you. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, catch that, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Can you imagine if Stephen was in the culture of our church today, in the Western church? We wouldn't recognize him for his boldness. We would criticize him for his lack of wisdom, I think. We, we would say, Stephen, that wasn't very loving to call those guys stiff-necked, stubborn people. I think we might say it's unkind to talk to people that way. We, would say, we might say something like this. You might have made it harder, Stephen, for them to come to know the Lord later. We might have said something like, Stephen, you should have spent more time and tried to build a relationship with them before proclaiming the gospel and calling them to repent. I want you to see that those things that we say, you're not going to find a lot of that in Acts. 
Instead, you're going to find people empowered, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, as Stephen is, in the face of persecution, standing up with no other option, overwhelmed by the Spirit to proclaim Jesus and call people to repent. We're going to see that. And we're going to see the love in that as we read through Acts. We're going to see the Gentiles be preached to with the gospel. Something that had not happened. We're going to see Peter go in Acts chapter 10 and to preach And while Peter, verse 44, while Peter were still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. We're going to see that God's church is for us. And we're going to see those early leaders proclaim that gospel boldly to us. We're going to see guys like Peter and guys like Paul suffer, suffer, and face ridicule even within the church because this was not a popular thing to do. The church proclaimed the word of God with boldness and they prayed that it would change lives. They prayed for boldness beyond their fear. Next, we see that the church is globally impacting, globally impacting. The church spread the gospel throughout Jerusalem and beyond, and they introduced the local church mission that would turn the world upside down. They would send out guys like Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, and in Acts 17, as the results begin to come in, as the church began to spread the conversation about them in verse 6, these men have turned the world upside down. Persecution had led to multiplication, and it was beyond a personality, a competency, or some kind of method. Paul would go into one city, catch this, this is a good distinction. Paul will go into one city, he will preach the gospel, and revival will happen. Paul will go into the next city, he will preach the gospel, and he'll be stoned and left for dead. Don't tell me in that controlled environment that somehow Paul used the wrong method in the bad city, and he used the right one. Somehow he spoke a little bit better in one city than he did in the other. The truth is it was the power of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of God that changed lives. Even someone as great as Paul didn't dictate the results of that. That ought to be encouraging for us, and it ought to give us boldness to go forward. Acts will document the transition from Israel to the world, from beggars to kings. There'll be a global impact. Acts will be joy-filled joy-filled. They will purpose to find their joy in Jesus, not their circumstances, which are often hostile and lacking. In Acts 8.8, there was much joy in the city. 13.52, they were filled with joy. 5.3, brought great joy to all the brothers. How can there be so much joy in the face of so much persecution when Peter and John are being beaten and threatened, when Stephen and James are being martyred and killed? It is because of the power of the resurrection and in the dwelling of the Holy Spirit they lived their life undivided in heart for one God. 
And their joy was beyond their circumstance. Their joy was found in him. And the church was unleashed. The church was unleashed. Acts, listen, the church in Acts, they're exemplary. They are in many ways. Hear me. They're not the hero. They're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. This is his ministry. But it shows us when the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, makes Jesus their hero, they can change the world. They can change the world. Acts boldly proclaims the weight is over the Holy Spirit and dwells the church. Listen, we're not waiting for him to show up. If you're a believer, he indwells you. I'm not waiting for him to show up. Listen, I'm not singing some song about how I hope he comes down. Listen, if I'm there, he's rolling with me. He may man him, manifest himself through me differently, but I want you to know he is with you if you are a Jesus follower. One of the things we have so done is watered down the Holy Spirit to be some kind of mystical, emotional thing that only shows up primarily through a bunch of mystical and emotional people. Listen, that's not true. That's a fake understanding of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Jesus follower, the very Holy Spirit of God indwells you. You are empowered by Him 24-7. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He is there with you, charging you to be bold, revealing the Scriptures to you that you may know God and know Him more, sanctifying you, doing the work of making you more like Jesus. He's not just some being that shows up that takes you on some kind of emotional ride he is comprehensively working in your life acts it tells us who we are and where we came from and where we are called to be we are jesus's church ordained by the father and empowered by the holy spirit on mission to change the world Man, if we can't get excited about studying that as a church, something's wrong with us. Because Acts ultimately is a story of the gospel. That the Father, that God loved us in our sin so much that He would not leave us alienated and separated from Him. But He would send His Son Jesus, perfect, spotless, blameless, without sin, who would pay the penalty and the cost for our sin and death upon a cross, but would conquer that death. And now, offer through faith His righteousness to be your righteousness. His standing before the Father, to be your standing before the Father. That through faith, we might be reconciled to God. This is what empowers the church. This is our mission. We have been reconciled, saved, and given the ministry of reconciliation, taking the gospel. And no place are we going to see that in a greater context than in the book of Acts. And so I'm going to ask the team to come on up. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to make this a time of prayer. 
And depending on your standing before the Lord, I would ask you to pray one of two ways. If you're here and you've never placed saving faith in Jesus, you do not have the standing of Christ on your life when you stand before the Father. You instead stand in your sin, separated. I would challenge you to make today the day you go before the Lord. You cry out and acknowledge that Jesus is your Savior. That Jesus, the Son of God, paid the penalty for your sin. And that by faith in Him and hope in Him, you might be adopted out of your sin and into the family of God. That should be your prayer in the next few moments. For the rest of us who are here as the church, I would challenge you to pray that God would take these next few months through 2017 and that He might reveal who He is and who He has called you to be as the church through this study of Acts. That we as Tri-Cities Baptist Church might be empowered by the Holy Spirit to pursue Him and to live that life. Those themes here in this place. Would you pray that the Word of God through Acts might change our lives over the next few months? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are our hero. And it begins with a desperate dependence on you. The recognition that you are good and that every good gift comes from you. Lord, I pray that our church would be marked by a desperation for you. That we would pursue you we would long for you we would cry out for you Lord I pray that this would begin in us as we as a church study your word through Acts in 2017 use the resources that are available to us use the fellowship of the body use the diversity of our gifts but most of all Lord use your word to speak truth into our lives that we may be different, that we may strain forward, that we may know your Son more, that we may be more like Jesus. Do this work in us. And in these things, Lord, we trust you. And we pray in the name of your Son, the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, would you stand and would you sing? This is time of response.